And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Fix the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. And today we will be discussing the 11th episode of Season 5 of Supernatural titled Sam Interrupted. Jamie, what did you think? <laughs> I think this week I'm just going to start with my PSA. Okay. So Beth, what do you think my PSA is going to be this week? I've got to assume it's something to do with mental health. I don't know what specifically because there's a lot of angles you could go but I'm going to assume it's something to do with mental health and or trauma and or seeking support and or et cetera, et cetera. That was not my PSA at all. My PSA really? was about safe weapon practices in a mental asylum. Oh. Like, how the <laughs> fuck did that? Like, I know that they're crafty. But also, they're they're getting, like, silver knives and shit. Oh, scalpels. I don't know like, why they had scalpels. Yeah. Like, I know it's the nurse's station, but why did you have a scalpel? Yeah, like, what are they using scalpels for in this, like, mental asylum that they were just able to get them? Yeah, no, that makes zero sense to me. Yeah. It's not like you're performing procedures. No. If you are, you shouldn't be. The other thing that confused the hell out of me, why the fuck do they have a morgue in this mental hospital? Yeah, also a good question. You should not be having that many on-site deaths that you require your own own morgue. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like, unless this is attached to, like, a larger hospital. but Which like, I suppose it could be. But that was not the vibe at all I got from anything else about this place. No, like, it seemed pretty standalone. They're making choices again, and I don't think I like <laughs> it. Yeah, look, we'll get into that very quickly before we get too heavy into this episode. I have recently been editing and re-listening to our yeah. episode on 507, The Curious Case of Dean Winchester, and I realised neither of us made a point that I'm shocked Neither of us thought to make. We know that Dean plays, like, the entry to the game is 25 years, Mm -hmm. right? And so he bets 50, gives 25 to Bobby, and we talked about how, like, obviously that was because that way, like, Bobby's not going to die, he gets his years back, blah, 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 and Dean, if he loses 25, he's unlikely to die immediately. Yeah. We didn't talk about what would happen if Dean won. Would he have been a five-year-old? Because he's only 30. See, here's the thing, though. I think if Dean won, he would give whatever he won to Bobby. He might, he might take like maybe five years off of himself. Yeah. But I think if he, if he won big, if he won like forty years or whatever, which would be insane. Which That's would be more insane. years than he's been alive. I reckon he would have taken like maybe five, mm. like five, five or ten, something in there, so that he's like early twenties yeah. again, and then donated the rest. Donated to Bobby. the rest to Bobby. But you know what I mean? Like, one, I'm shocked that neither of us thought to bring this up. But two, I was like, not thinking about, you know, Dean and Bobby's situation, but anyone who's playing. Mm. Like, if they go into the game at 45 and they win 30 years, do they become 15? I think the key is that most people who are going in and entering, like, very few of them are under the age of 45. Like, they're all typically older. Like, nobody who's, like, 20 is gambling for... Yes. I mean, I guess. Because that's not who this dude is targeting. But my point stands. <laughs> my point stands. It's like, what's the limit? Like, like, are people going into this game middle-aged and waddling out as toddlers? Like, I don't... <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just realised that neither of us brought it up mm-hmm. at all. And it seemed like a missed point. So I wanted to squeeze it in before we got too into this episode. Mm-hmm. While we are talking about previous episodes. Okay. There's a line in this episode mm-hmm. that threw me all the way back to actually one of our episodes that we did previously, which is when the therapist describes them as dangerously codependent. Yes. And I'm like, (laughs) I literally made this PSA. Like, I I I think it was in Skin. 
I think I literally made this PSA. And it's I was like, early on. it was about codependence because I'm pretty sure it's when Dean's like, no, you don't have any other friends in Milan. I'm like, mm. <laughs> babes, that's not a good idea. This episode is just the therapist fucking roasting them. I know. <laughs> like, the entirety of the episode is like, oh yeah, but. But do you know what? They actually get read to Phil so many times mm-hmm. in this episode. At the end, the Wraith makes a really great fucking point where she's like, you literally walked in here bragging about how you hunt monsters. Kind of made you easy to spot. You know what it is? It's about, it's talking about doing crime in the middle of the street. I think it's probably because they like falsely assumed that it'd be like a ghost or something. Yeah. So they were like, oh, it doesn't matter because like a ghost, like it, the ghost isn't cognizant enough to be like, oh, well, they must be hunters because they're talking about like, yeah. You know, but it's like, yeah, like what if it was the fucking therapist? They've had situations like, like something Wicked's a really good one where it's like the monster was pretending to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're going in there giving like full details that any monster is going to recognize as the truth. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're calling yourself Alex. If you say that you killed Lilith and accidentally rose the devil, everyone who's involved is going to know that your name is actually Sam Winchester. Like, you're just, you're just a, like, y- you know? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I would understand if they like they were like, okay, let's do monster hunting delusions. Great, fine, whatever. Why not change all of the details so they're fake? Why not make them wildly inconsistent? Because then the monster's gonna think you've just got delusions of that and you don't actually do it. I just But otherwise it's just like singling yourself out as a target. I honestly think the actual real reason is because it's funny. Yes, Like, the obviously. actual real reason is that they get into the psych ward by literally just telling their life story to a professional, and the professional goes, yeah, okay, I'm going to need to clear the rest of my schedule for this one, which is so wildly funny. You Paranoid, know, schizophrenic, narcissism, and... Yes, I wrote it down. Hang religious on delusion, I think uh, is what... So, paranoid schizophrenic with narcissistic personality disorder and religious psychosis, which I wanted to talk about this diagnosis, because that's wild. But here's, here's the thing. That therapist is someone that Dean has created inside his own mind, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that those are the actual... What they've actually diagnosed him with to hold him in the asylum. That's what Dean thinks he has. Like, this is Dean thinking about himself. The only way it would be, like, is if he had heard, like, the main dude psychiatrist say that or something, like, along those lines. Like, which is not impossible, but it's not shown or actually implied on screen. Yeah, exactly. And also, they haven't been in the facility very long. No. You know, I doubt that they've gone into, like... And already got a diagnosis. Yeah, exactly. It's certainly very interesting. And actually, I want to talk about the interactions that Dean does have with his imagined psychiatrist. He's finally got a friend and they're imaginary. (laughs) Which is actually two for two in terms of Winchester Brothers, but we'll get into that in season 11. Well, I guess here's the thing, though. If the friend is imaginary, they can't die, which is a big win for him considering all of his other friends have died. Pretty much. So... The information we get is, so she calls him a paranoid schizophrenic with narcissistic personality disorder and religious psychosis. We get the information that he gets three to four hours of sleep every couple of nights, that he drinks likely 50 plus alcoholic beverages in a week, and he has never been in a relationship more long-term, like long-term, being more than two months. See, that throws me because I thought his relationship with Cassie was implied to be not necessarily like years or anything, but like, you know, three to six months. I 
always assumed that Cassie was about a month. I feel like after a month, you're not going to tell somebody that you hunt monsters. Like, I, I figured it would take a little bit longer to get to that point. I think that you could read the Cassie situation either way. You could read it as shorter or read it as longer. I personally always read it as shorter for a couple of reasons. One, he wasn't going to be sticking around very long, just yeah. generally speaking. Two, they were both really young. Yeah. So three, it would make sense that he'd be like, I'm in love with you. I'm going to tell you everything because he's literally never had this opportunity before. This is like the first adult relationship that he's ever had the opportunity to have. But I mean, and here's the thing. We do get confirmation in this episode. It has to have been less than two months because he says he hasn't had. But to be fair, I think he's lying. I think he's straight up lying because at this point he's been dating Castiel for what, six months? (laughs) I don't think they're ready to put a label on it. Okay, yeah. That's (laughs) like, I don't think they've had that discussion yet. (laughs) But the thing that really... I think we were robbed of (laughs) is that the next thing that she says to him and remembering this is a psychiatrist that Dean has conjured up inside his own mind. The next thing she says is let's talk about your father. In my brain, the only thing I could think of is that John Mulaney gift. That's like, no, that's the thing I'm sensitive (laughs) about. I cannot believe like, and the look that we leave off on, because like we get the Dean reaction yeah. shot and then it like cuts and it cuts to him just looking so like kind of lost and dejected. And it's like, fuck, I wish we got to see that conversation. But I also think it's really effective to just like leave as is. Like you mm-hmm. leave that negative space for you to like put your own implications. That's a fan fiction gap. That's a fan fiction gap. Yeah, it's, it's wild. I want to circle back around to Dean in a minute, but I do just want to talk about, while we're talking about, like, revealing conversations, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Sam for a okay. minute. Specifically, that last scene, you've already pointed out, the Wraith has a fantastic point that they're fucking idiots, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I want to talk about Sam, and I want to just read verbatim from my notes right here so you can know how I think of it in my head, so you know what I'm referring to. Uh-huh. It's the hot, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me speech <laughs> yeah. from Sam. Which I just want to say it's very telling that he once again erases all of Ruby's contributions to the apocalypse. I'm sorry, but this man is like, "Mm, you know what? It's just me. I did all of that alone. Ruby didn't do anything that was like bad or wrong. It's like you are removing her agency in the story. She has more agency than you do. Like, come on, accept it. You did not make these decisions. They were made for you by Ruby. Stop erasing a powerful woman's contributions to the apocalypse. Okay, but honestly, though, like, you make a point. I'm glad that you made the Taylor Swift reference because I was thinking it. But here's the thing about that speech. It always makes me think of the Hulk. <laughs> like, the Hulk. I'm always angry. <laughs> That's my secret. I'm always angry. <laughs> but, like, it does come down to this. Like, we've talked so much about Sam, like, all the way from season one. Like, having that rage sort of simmering underneath yeah. and, you know... That dichotomy of, like, people assuming that Dean is the dangerous one kind of thing. But actually, no, it's definitely Sam. And even Lucifer made the comment, you know, like, you know, keep feeding that rage, Sam. I'm going to need it. And so I think it's interesting that Sam is finally verbalizing that and actually, you know, saying, yeah, I am just always fucking angry. Like, it used to be you and Dad and then it was Lilith and Ruby and Lucifer, you know. He's right. He, like, always has something to be fucked off about. And, like, to be fair, given his life experiences, it's pretty fucking valid. Like, I'm gonna be honest, I've been mad over less. <laughs> like, I don't think Sam 
Sam's in the wrong. Bethany is Sam coded. <laughs> I just, I don't think he's wrong for being mad at these people. <laughs> like, honestly, they kind of deserve him to be at least a bit pissy. But it is fascinating, though, that both Sam and Dean essentially get the same thing. Like, we've talked about it before. Like, when only one of them is poisoned or, you know, drugged or whatever, mm-hmm. what they can say, oh, no, it was like this to the other person because the yeah. other person doesn't know. But they're both being drugged or poisoned or whatever the fuck it is by the same, by thing. The same thing in this episode. So it's really interesting to see how they individually react yeah. because we get the description from the Wraith that it basically just amps up whatever the fuck's already happening in the brain. Yeah. So Sam becomes yeah. incredibly violent. He's incredibly angry. He's very quick to attack literally anything. Yeah. And he hallucinates that everyone around him is attacking him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dean is so fucking terrified because he understands that he is not, like he both realizes that he's hallucinating quicker. Mm-hmm. And he also is then scared to interact with the world because he doesn't want to hurt anybody because he's hallucinating. Yeah. And also like Sam you know, feels like he's, like, being attacked and we get people calling him a freak and, you know, these these buzzwords for Sam, you know. But then we have Dean who has this whole interaction with the therapist where basically she's calling him a failure and telling him that he can't save the people that he loves. Like, Sam is scared that people are going to misread him as, mm-hmm. like, a dangerous and, you know, yeah. scary or whatever. And Dean is worried that people will see him for what he believes himself to be, which is a failure who isn't good enough. It's wild, you know? But then at the end of the episode, like you said, we have Sam admitting, like, yeah, I am angry. Like, the reason that I'm worried that people will attack me is because I'm worried they have a reason to. Yeah, and it's that dichotomy between Sam is angry at the world Mm -hmm. and Dean is angry at himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Sam is terrified that he's a monster and that other people are going to see himself as a monster and that he's not going to be able to save himself. Yeah. And Dean's worried that he's not going to be able to save everybody Every single else. person on the planet. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And Sam's like, I want my soul to be good enough that I can go to heaven, basically. Whereas Dean's like, oh, no, I don't give a shit about myself. Like, what matters is everybody else mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Or seven billion other people. Yeah, and even, like, to the point where Dean says in this episode, like, he's talking to Martin and he's, like, trying to figure out what's going on. And he literally has one. He's like, maybe it's the ghost of my dad. And I'm like, whoa, what are you, like, baby boy, what are you, what That's are you saying? I think it's really interesting that the episode highlights, like, obviously Dean has a lot of unresolved issues surrounding John. Like, at no point does anyone mention John to Sam. Or around Sam. Well, actually, we have him hallucinating Dean saying shit to him. Like, his father figure talking shit to him. Mm-hmm. The only instance we get of, like, John and Sam being connected in this episode is literally when Sam says about how angry he was about John, John. and Dean. Like, that's it. That's literally the extent of it. It's like, oh, yeah, I was pissed off at that. Like, that's it. There is no mention of, like, I'm so worried because Dad said I was turning into a monster and, like, I need a... You mm. need to kill me if you didn't save me. Like, none of that factors in for him. There are relationships to their father. There's just so much trauma and daddy issues there. Like, Oh, yeah. But in such different ways. If this episode had a tagline, I think it should just be big yikes. <laughs> it's wild, this like, one. 
It's really, really wild. I do want to come back to a lot of this stuff because I think there's a lot more to talk about, but let's maybe move on for a minute and we'll, we'll circle back around. First of all, I want to do a shout out to Ted, who unfortunately does die in this episode, but the line specifically, you know what else isn't good for group? A monster eating all of our faces off. And you know what, Ted? You're so right for that. <laughs> Ted is absolute icon. He is. R.I.P. Ted. R.I.P. Ted. You I will be missed. Yeah, you will be. They'll miss you in group. He would have made a fantastic hunter. Yeah, if he'd had the chance. Yeah. Oh, which, speaking of which, thoughts on Martin? I... He's not a huge character, yeah. but I just thought... He's like, he is a once-off. I'll, you know, let you know that. This episode gave me very much like False and Pliz- Prison Blues vibes. Oh yeah, I kind of see that. So, False and Prison Blues, they're like, oh, we've got to help this dude. Was it Deacon or Duncan? Or Deacon, yeah. Deacon. They're like, oh, we've got to help Deacon. He saved Dad's life a couple of times. Literally said the exact same thing in this episode. They're like, oh, yeah. this dude saved Dad's... Which, I don't know what I meant to think about that. Because we know, canonically, the boys were not aware that like their hunting network even fucking existed. So, like, from what we can tell, the boys literally knew, like, Bobby, past the gym, and Caleb. That is it. So I just don't know how they know that all of these other random dudes saved John's life once. Like, is it in the journal? Like, is that why? I would say yes. Here's the thing. I think that Caleb, Bobby, and past the gym were people the boys had met personally. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing to say that John wouldn't have at least mentioned other people or that other people wouldn't have come up in the journal, like contacts and stuff, which we know the boys have read back to front. There is a possibility there, but I fully understand what you're saying. But then why were they surprised about Ellen and Joe? I actually have a theory about this. Mm -hmm. Because John got Bill killed, I'm going to say that there's a chance that he removed information from the journal. Because he can't be God to his children if his children know that he's fucked up a lot. I just think it might be a self-preservation thing. Like, he can't face what happened because he, it was, from all we know is that it was somehow John's fault. Yeah. Like, John got him killed. It, like, doesn't read like it was an accident. It Like, I mean, obviously he didn't intentionally kill him, but, like, it certainly reads as though John did something stupid. Or negligent. And that's what got him killed. So I'm wondering if maybe he just couldn't face to write it down kind of thing. Like, to immortalize it. But the thing is, we know that they've met this dude. Because he says, oh, you've gotten big. It's like, obviously, he met them as children. So, like, I just can't reconcile the information they're giving me in my brain. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is a classic example of Supernatural not remembering its own canon. Yeah. And look, it happens. It happens an unfortunate amount. (laughs) Let's go somewhere a little bit more light as a topic, though. Okay. Which is, we have Wendy, which R.I.P. Wendy. Mm. She was a girl boss just out here doing her own thing, reclaiming her sexuality. Mm Mm-hmm. But we get the line from Wendy, which is, I like him now. He's larger. Yeah, look. This episode, Wendy in particular is wild to me. I, obviously, like, Wendy is a red herring. Yeah. Like, obviously, she is set up to be a mm-hmm. red herring, and I understand that. However, what I don't love about Wendy, and it's not actually about Wendy. No. It's about Dean mm-hmm. and the characterization he's given, which is when she first the kisses Darv him. The Darv effect. The Darv effect. When Wendy kisses him and he's like responding and is like into it. And then Sam's like, dude, you can't hit that. And Dean's like, oh, so torn. And it's like, no, that would be considered assault. She's clearly not in a state where she could make clear, informed consent. That is not a thing 
you are torn up about, that is a thing you fundamentally understand would be wrong and you would not want to do. Sam has the correct response, which is when she kisses him, he clamps up and is like, not entertaining this. Yes, you just made a face. You look delighted. Is this another case of, like, um, Sam Winchester, what's, what's the fucking thing where everyone he ever kisses or touches dies? Dies? Oh my god, Sam's death dick? Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, no dick, but, like, also, I saw a poll on Tumblr, and it literally, it was just like, would you fuck Sam Winchester, yes or no? And I was like, who is saying yes? Like, he has a death dick. Guys, do we not remember canon? <laughs> Like, because she kisses Sam, and then she, like, immediately dies. dies. She's even blonde. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've connected the dots. Oh, speaking of just wild choices in this episode. There are many. There are many. Pudding. Now, this is particularly infamous within fandom. See, I've seen the pudding gift. Mm-hmm. I think and most people have. I previously thought the pudding gift was really funny, but knowing the context, it's way less funny. Yes, I agree. Like, I understand the idea behind it, but I also think it's kind of really offensive. I think it's aged very, very poorly. Like, I think it's kind of like, oh, no, instead of being an episode that was actually doing pretty well at framing these people as, like, yes, they are mentally disturbed, Mm -hmm. but they are still people. Yeah. I think it was doing a decent job to then have your main character be like, oh, well, now I'm crazy, so I'm going to pull down my pants and scream pudding. Mm -hmm. It's very reductive. Mm-hmm. didn't love it and I, I agree I think it's one of those things it's kind of like Tall Tales where like yeah. you see the gifts or you have the out of context quotes and you're like oh like that's like fun and silly and then you actually watch it with the whole scene and you're like oh that's um that's that's a problem actually yeah you know that's that's some big yaks categories right there mm-hmm. yeah um I do want to just as like a bit of uh background though the slapping sound mm-hmm. is a pork chop oh I didn't need to know that well now you do and so does everyone else. <laughs> I don't know if there's really too much else to say about it, but it's just like... I think we had to mention Yeah. Especially considering it's like, it's not even a smart play. No. Like, it's not. It's objectively, because here's the thing. Okay, we know she's the wraith. So she's she's just out here being like, these are fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. But what they've been admitted to this psych hospital for is not that sort of psychosis. No. Whether the description we get is accurate or not based on his imaginary therapist, which I love that men will literally invent a therapist rather than going <laughs> to actual therapy. Chef's kiss, perfect. Whether that is accurate or not, we, we can pretty well assume that he has been admitted something along those lines. Yeah. Some sort of like maybe paranoid schizophrenia or like probably not narcissistic yeah. personality. I, That's is, the other one out. I Religious psychosis and paranoid schizophrenia do fit with what they've sort of shown this but like it just doesn't fit with their like everything else about their behavior so regardless mm. they're gonna think it's weird yeah like it, it doesn't gonna stand out it's gonna stand out and not necessarily in the way that he wants it to stand out mm. i do want to talk about the narcissistic personality the sort of section of his okay. yeah. diagnosis because i also think that's the odd one out to be fair i'm just going for basic google mm. definitions yeah I do know a little bit about it, but then again, my psychology degree I did four years ago now. So it's been yeah. it's been a while since I've brushed up on my actual clinical psychology. But narcissistic personality disorder, if I remember correctly, it's one of those ones where like 
the definition of that's kind of really hard. It's not a super duper clear, like it's not like depression or like bipolar or like anxiety. Like it's not. It's harder to pinpoint. It's harder to pinpoint because it's. More complex. It's more complex. And it's also nowhere near as common. Like there's just less people with it. So it's harder to get a good sample size to actually do any sort of research. So just looking at like a very brief Google, so some of the descriptions are a disorder in which a person has an inflated sense of self-importance. Some symptoms could include an excessive need for admiration, disregard for others' feelings, and an inability to handle any criticism, as well as a sense of entitlement. Which I Sam coded. Yeah. Not Dean coded. Not Dean Sam coded. coded. And again, blanket statement, we love Sam, but also, but also characters can have flaws. I generally think it's very, very interesting. Because there are two ways to look at this. One way is that we have previously heavily criticised Andrew Darb for his inability to write Dean well mm-hmm. and in character. And the other is to have it as a very interesting meta concept in which Dean sees himself this way, which is entirely different to the way he presents to everyone else. It's like inflated sense of self-worth. Like, no, he hates himself. Baby a, boy, you didn't think you deserved to be saved. That's literally a plot point. <laughs> like, like, literally. Do you know what I mean? So I there's only those, for me, that's really the mm. only two different ways you can interpret it. Either yeah. it's Dove and or Laughlin taking a, a stab at this character. Uh, which, or, if that is the case, then I think this is the first time I've ever seen a character mischaracterized via another character. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> But the other reading is actually phenomenally interesting Mm. because like we said, this is Dean diagnosing himself Mm. and that is showing such an immense amount of cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. between the way that he actually behaves and interacts with the people around him and makes decisions regarding those around him. It's like disregards others' feeling. It's like, babes, you literally just laid out to the therapist how... You feel personally responsible for saving the entire fucking world. Which you could view as an inflated sense of self-importance, but I don't think under the context, Mm. which is like Dean is like, we've talked about this before, everyone else is more important than me. Yeah. Like I have to save everyone because... Their lives are worth more than my own. Yeah, not because I'm a super special hero. Yes. But because... They are inherently worth more than I am. Who am I? I'm just some fucking dude. And we've had him voice this and, like, be confronted by other characters about this and all we, the way through the first four seasons. And we also get, in this episode, he literally says, the therapist, well, his imaginary therapist, asks him, why you? Why mm-hmm. do, does it have to be you? And he says, because no one else will do it. He's yeah. not saying because it has to be me because I'm, you know, more important or I'm this or I'm the only one who can do it. Mm-hmm. It's because if I don't do it, no one else will. Yeah, and then everyone dies. And then everyone dies. It's not I'm the only one capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. It's I have to do it because no one else is going to. Yeah, and we also get her saying to him, like, that is such a crushing weight to have on your shoulders. God, how do you even get up in the morning? And he's like, do you know what? That's a good question. He doesn't actually answer her. But it's interesting because it's a conversation he is having, again, with himself. Like, she is a construction of his imagination. And I just think that it's so interesting that that's the way it manifested comparatively with Sam. And to be clear, I don't think either of these characters have that disorder. No. In terms of characterization, if you're going to argue one of them has it and the other one doesn't, it's not Dean who you would point out as having it. It Mm. would be 
Sam. Yeah, if you were going to pick between the two, Hmm. yeah, exactly. Sam doesn't fit the definition, but he's a hell of a lot closer to fitting it than Dean is. And I honestly think that is just a, like, we've talked before about how, like, Dean has sheltered Sam from a lot. And I think that that, like, fundamentally comes into it. And I think that the other thing that she says to him, I think at a later point in the episode, right before he realizes that she's like a hallucination, she says, all this pressure you're putting yourself under, all this guilt, it's killing you. You can't save everybody. Which means he does know that. It means that he does understand that it's an impossible task he is setting for himself, but it doesn't matter. He has to try and accomplish it anyway. And I think that's really interesting. But then, of course, she goes for the kill shot and says, these days you can't save anyone, not Ellen and Joe, can't kill Lucifer, couldn't stop Sam, and you broke the first seal. All you do is fail. And I just think that that is just really interesting. Because, yeah, that's how he that's how he is feeling right now. That's how he thinks of himself. And we've even had that as far back as, like, in the on the head of a pin when he's saying to Cass, like, I can't do this. I don't think I am all that you and your dad and my dad have cracked me up to be. I am just some guy. And I think that it's a very interesting continuation of that particular arc for Dean. I literally can't believe this is a Darwin Laughlin episode. Like, I, the pendulum of quality in terms of characterization is just so wild. But here's the thing. Buckle. I'm buckled. I'm ready. Take me for a ride. <laughs> I think... Darb has done something really accidentally in this episode. Well, to be fair, also Laughlin is there. Also Laughlin is there. I think, <laughs> like, we talk about Darb because he ends up being showrunner, yes. but also Laughlin is there. Also Laughlin is there. And I think we can thank Laughlin for the fact that it's not worse. <laughs> because we've had Darb episodes that are solo Darb episodes previously. Have we? I think so. I don't know. I, he and Laughlin have co-written a lot. Like, I'm yeah. pretty sure he and Laughlin co-wrote After School Special. That's right. So I'm I'm blaming Darb directly, though. Okay? okay? I've just decided. <laughs> you can I choose have, to do that. I have no other information, and I might be wrong. But that's fine. <laughs> I have a lot of unearned confidence, so that's good. <laughs> I think that Darb has mischaracterized Dean in a way, this episode, that is accidentally then putting him back into character. It's looped so like, far it's, around it's that it's so actually a full circle. Of, it's so out of character that it's looped around to be an interesting commentary on Dean's character that actually remains in character. Like, I think he's misread Dean's character and then he's done something with complete sincerity here. But then, because it's done with complete sincerity and it's an episode about Dean and his mental health and you know, there are psychosis and like this entire episode makes sense for them to be slightly out of character because the whole plot device is that they are currently hallucinating. hallucinating. I think he's accidentally done it in such a way that his standard mischaracterization of Dean has looped back around to just be a fascinating commentary on Dean. When you fuck around and find out so hard you accidentally make a really interesting meta commentary on a character you fundamentally don't understand. Exactly, because this entire episode is just like, if you look at them, mm. Dean is out of character this entire episode, but it's only because they're employing the plot device of the sort of venom yeah. that's making them hallucinate that it means that you recontextualize everything else in the episode. Mm. And also the fact that Darb is writing Dean differently than he normally does because Dean is meant to be hallucinating for the entire episode. That it then means it's the combination of the two. <laughs> it's the combination of the episode characterization is recontextualized 
based on the episode. And also, Darb's writing of Dean has been changed because he's writing to Dean hallucinating. Yeah. He's not writing to just Dean normally. He's writing to Dean hallucinating. And you combine the two factors and it undoes everything that he fucked up. Sorry, the mental gymnastics we're performing right now. It's like, I hope that made any sense. To, like, I'm going to be editing this, like, looking like that lady who's got all the maths floating around in front of her. Like, but do, <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? I think I've got you. So basically... Like, two negatives equal a positive, I was going to say, it's like when you do a math... It's a well-known fact from this podcast. I'm bad at math. But to the point where, like, sometimes I would be in, like, a test or something, and I would fuck up majorly at two separate points, somehow my fuck-ups would cancel each other out, and I would end up with the correct answer. Exactly. And so I'd get, like, half marks, you know? (laughs) And, like, that's kind of how it feels. It's like they've said, okay, this episode, basically, the plot device is that the Venom makes them more of themselves than they normally would. So they've heightened Dean Mm -hmm. to make him more Dean than he normally is, forgetting that it's actually a commentary on his mental state. Yeah. And then when you add in the context to the episode of this is Dean in an altered mental state, it means that it's no longer read as this is Dean at his peak. And it's like making that commentary of like, they're like, oh no, we're going to diagnose Dean with this Mm -hmm. because that makes sense. And it's meant to be like believable, quote unquote. Yeah. But the issue is... Then when you recontextualize it as something that Dean is hallucinating because he's currently under the impact of Venom and no longer this is an accurate diagnosis of Dean and more this is what Dean thinks of himself. Which is inherently wrong. Which is inherently wrong. And so then instead of having, oh no, Dean has an accurate self-image, which is what it sort of seems like it's written to be, it's like, actually, no, you've recontextualized it so we can see how unaligned Dean's mental image of himself is to his actual character. Yeah. And what's so fucking fascinating about this too is that it means, like, I get that, like, the questions that she's asking are sort of standard questions, but it it means that Dean understands there is something fundamentally wrong here. Like, how much sleep are you getting? Clearly not enough. How much do you drink? Clearly too much. How long has your most, like, long-term stable relationship been? I've never had a long-term stable relationship. It's clearly, like, these are the things that Dean is hyper-aware of and self-conscious about and concerned about that he is highlighting to himself. It's actually fucking incredibly fascinating. But I can't figure out if it was intended to be or not. And that's the crux of it. Like, I think it was an accident. Like, I think... (laughs) I think anything this episode says is fundamentally an accident. <laughs> and I respect that interpretation. Because I think I think in Darb's brain. Oh, now we're psychoanalyzing Darb. This, this episode is really going somewhere. <laughs> I think in Darb's brain, we've got the four questions, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, how much do you sleep? How much do you drink? Long-term stable relationship and your relationship to your father. Yeah. I think in Darb's brain, these four questions are meant to highlight how badass Dean is as a character. It's, oh my god. He never sleeps, he drinks a lot, he's a womanizer, he never settles down for a woman for longer than two months. Yeah. And, like, he has, like, a relation, like a dysfunctional relationship with his father because, God forbid, men be emotionally intelligent. I think in Darb's brain, he's like, ah, oh, yes, this is highlighting how cool Dean is. 
Or, like, these are the main facets of Dean's personality, personality. Which is exactly on brand with, like, After School Special, where, like, honestly, I would argue that iteration of Dean, way more suitable to narcissistic personality disorder than the actual Dean. Dean. And, like, we spent yeah. that whole episode railing on the fact that it was the worst characterization we've ever had of Dean. And so he hasn't kept in mind that this is going to be recontextualized as what Dean thinks about himself. He's just like, ah, ha, 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 therapist character is pointing out the fundamental aspects of Dean. Mm-hmm. He's not reflecting on it as, oh, Dean. this is Dean reflecting on the fundamental aspects of himself. And the therapist reaction is not, oh, wow, how cool is Dean? Mm. Because it's a professional reaction. And that makes sense if it's a normal therapist. That's fine. Like, what? okay, the therapist can judge Dean's life choices because they're clearly not standard. Mm. but Or healthy, maybe. Or healthy, that. which is, is fine because, like, oh, Dean's not trying to conform to, like, normal standards of, you know, what's, what makes a good life. But you then recontextualize as Dean is asking those questions of himself. Mm-hmm. And the therapist is still judging him. Yeah. Like... <laughs> It's so fucking fascinating. And I kind of wish that we got a bit, a similar, like, version for Sam. Like, obviously it wouldn't really work in the same way because the things that Sam is struggling with, that it's being heightened, like you said earlier, like, it's heightening Sam's anger and Sam's irrationality and Sam's, actually, do you know what? Sam's freaking, like, audacity and, what's the word I'm looking for? We use it all the time with Sam. Arrogance. Mm. His arrogance. Because... Even in the moment when he attacks the actual psychiatrist who initially assesses them and he cuts him with the scalpel, yeah. the guy doesn't react. Like, obviously he reacts in the sense of, oh my god, this person's trying to kill me, but he doesn't react in the way that the wraith is supposed to react. Yeah. The skin doesn't crackle or steam or bubble or anything like Sam was told it should. But Sam is so convinced in his mission that he doesn't even pause to assess that. And if Martin hadn't happened to be there to stop him, Sam will have fully killed that guy. And the orderlies around him that he fully took out as well, like, they're people. He doesn't give a shit about collateral damage. Yeah, and, like, we've talked before about how, like, for Sam, like, the means justify the ends, whereas Dean is often way more focused about the means than he is necessarily about actually completing the end goal. Like, he wants to achieve that end goal, but he doesn't want to achieve the end goal if it means fucking everything else up on the way. What's that episode where they meet war? I know the one, but I can't think of the title right now. It's Um, giving me the episode where they meet war, and Sam just straight up slaughters a couple of humans in the, like, little mini-mart thing. Yeah, without pausing to recognize without that pausing they... pausing to recognize that there was no, like, lights or smoke or anything like there normally is when they call someone mm-hmm. with a demon blade. And also they wouldn't have had the same sort of, like, extra strength or powers that would be mm-hmm. associated with a demon. Yeah. And again, in that episode, Dean is the one who recognizes that their minds are being played with. Dean, in this episode, rec- like, is the one who recognizes that their minds are being played with. Oh, I have a question for you. Yeah. Did you at any point before the reveal realize that Dean was hallucinating the psychiatrist? I thought it was weird, but I didn't pick it as like a hallucination. Like I was definitely like, oh, well, this seems really odd because why would Dean have a random psychologist walk up to him and be like, oh, hi, I'm your assigned psychologist. But we didn't have it for Sam. Mm. So I was like, that's that's weird. Yeah. Oh, I think the implication is like, well, Sam's gone to group. So like in the meantime, Dean is like. 
But they're also implying that Dean's going to go to group. So yeah. like, why? I assume it'll be like, well, Dean will see someone and privately you, while you Sam's don't ever and have vice versa. If you were in a mental institution, I doubt they're ever going to conduct an actual therapy oh, not session in, a fucking room in the of middle of the room full of other people. You no, know what I mean? Absolutely not. I never picked it up in my first watch through. Yeah. Which is, I wanted to ask and see if you had, because like, yeah, I noticed those things too. I was like, wow, weird that she's asking him these questions in front of everybody, but okay. Like, it's supernatural. Shit happens. You know, that kind Clearly of Clearly no one who's producing this show has ever seen a psychologist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. But yeah, so like, that sort of stuff is weird. I know we rag on Dab a lot, but credit where credit's due. And look, maybe this was Laughlin, but I think that her role was written into the episode very effectively, mm-hmm. because once you go back and think about it, it is obvious. There are red flags everywhere. everywhere. It's just actually putting the red flags together. Yeah, exactly. It's very much like the sixth sense. Like, once you realise, you can go back and be like, oh, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense. Sam at no point interacts with the psych. Dean never really talks about her. You know, all of these things. Dean is the only one who ever talks to her. She always appears when Dean's by himself. All of these bits and pieces make a lot of sense when you know but when you're first watching it, it's written in such a way that it doesn't feel super out of place. Yeah. And, like, the other thing is just the questions that she's asking. It's, like, those are not the sort of general introductory questions that you ask a brand new patient. And the way she jumps from subject to subject. Although I do think that the way that she connects with Dean, like, obviously he is projecting himself, so, like, it makes sense. But, like, I do think that for anyone to get Dean to talk about anything, having that kind of trade-off, like, bantery yeah. almost, is the way you're going to do it. No, that makes sense. What, what doesn't make sense to me is the fact that she jumps immediately from stable relationship to father. Like, it, it makes logical sense, the path that she's taking, up until that point, when she randomly switches from... I... Like, just the last two questions, they just seem... I think that they make sense. They make sense when you know that it's a hallucination. I think, but I don't think they make sense from a professional therapist standpoint. I think it makes sense if she'd said something more along the lines of, let's talk about your childhood. Exactly. The father thing is very targeted. Yes. And, like, that is obviously because it's a hallucination. But I do think that yeah. it's written in such a way where, like, it's not immediately obvious that something it's funky a bit like, is happening. Oh, I it's a bit it. weird, but it's not like, oh, my God. Obviously, yeah. in the TV show, they want to get straight to... Hand-wavy nonsense. Yeah. It's television. It's not going to be 100% realistic not to real life. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I have a note here, and I can't remember what I made it about. So okay. I'm going to read it out, and then hopefully you can help me guess what it was about. Sure. So the note is DIY hell. DIY hell. It's sandwiched between his larger question mark and it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me speech. I think maybe, is it when Sam is in the room and the Wraith is, like, licking her fingers and stuff? She's talking about the dopamine. Oh, do you remember forever ago when we were talking about marinating in your own fear juices? Yeah. And I was saying there are some creatures that we get later on. This is what I was talking about. Yeah. So, yes, sometimes the creatures do make you scared because you taste better. This is what I was thinking about. Yeah. was this episode. Sorry, that is such a long-haul callback. I don't even... That was, like, season two or something, but... I think it was season... I think it was season one. I think it's literally the second episode. I think it was Wendigo. Really? Because remember, like, we were like, why is the Wendigo, like, chaining him (laughs) up and, like, keeping him in the cave? Oh, yeah, we had the walk-in pantry thing. Yeah. Wow. I think it's literally been... (laughs) We've been 
doing this for so long. I've forgotten our own law. Yeah, I think it's I think it's one or two. I think yeah, wild. What I think a callback. But yeah, the only thing that I can think is maybe when it's Sam, like because he's like tied up, yeah. very similarly to how he was in four twenty one mm. in Bobby's panic room. That's the only thing that I can really think of that it could be relating to. I'm not sure what else DIY hell would be in reference to. It's going to bug me until I work it out. Because right. I, I don't think it was that. I guess we'll just have to hope it comes back to you. Yeah. While we're waiting for your brain to, to start functioning again, I want to talk about something that you actually mentioned while we were talking with Jen mm-hmm. in 505. Yeah. You brought up the fact that you think that you could definitely read Dean as having OCD. In this episode, obviously, we've already mentioned the race says she only cranks up what, what is already yeah. there. We specifically get Dean trying like going to explain to Martin why he can't step on the cracks. Mm. And I do think that that leads into your theory that you could definitely interpret Dean as having at least low-level OCD tendencies. Yes. But I think it's also hilarious because if the reason he can't step on the cracks is because of, you know, like, don't step on the cracks, you're breaking your mother's back. It's like your, your mom's dead dad. Your mom's dead dad? <laughs> That's how Sam would say it to me. Like, your your mum is dead, Dean. Like, she is... Yeah. It doesn't matter if her back is... Like, she's dead. I mean, to be fair, it could just be, like, the general yeah. notion of, like, bad luck. But I did think that was interesting. We also get a couple of instances of Dean being, like, squeamish or not liking gross, like, dirty things in this episode, which is also something that comes across a lot in his character. Yeah. But specifically, we get two instances... One, when Sam is using the cranial saw to, like, open the guy's skull and look at the brain. And we have Dean sort of outside the door going, like, ugh, kind of, like, making the face. And later on, uh, with the wraith spike, mm-hmm. and he, like, once he's snapped off, he's, like, looking at it and he just, like, throws it away. Like, which, first of all, mood, because that is gross. <laughs> it takes him a minute, but then he realises what the fuck he's holding. He's like, I fucking know. Yeah, exactly. Not- but I wanted to, like, very quickly point those instances out, because, first of all, like, Dean liking things clean and sanitary is definitely a long-standing thing for his character that we can absolutely watch the rest of the series. I also think it's interesting because I don't think it's as apparent in the first three seasons. I think it's something that's really started cropping up after he got out of hell. That is really interesting, actually. Because, like, thinking back on the first three seasons, like, I can't think of... Too many examples. Too many examples of him being too too squeamish about being like about dirt and stuff. Do we reckon it's linked to him having to crawl out of his own grave? I mean, yeah, obviously. And also just like hell. <laughs> fucking alright. Like, I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming hell is not fucking clean. Like mm. that is interesting. Actually, I would like to maybe rewatch the first season, three seasons and work out if there's any yeah. sign of it earlier. Or maybe I'll just go through my, my notes because yeah. I think I would have maybe pointed it out. Because it's certainly something that in later seasons becomes quite apparent i think at some point we get the line i'm going to be bathing in detol after this or something to that effect you know and so it's certainly interesting he definitely likes to keep his space clean you know all these things and actually you know we get in i want to say it is tall tales sam saying to dean you know like you leave your dirty socks in the sink and like all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and i remember saying to you like that's really that's odd. really wild considering the rest of his characterization. So I that is interesting if there was like some kind of switch yeah. that happened like in the turnaround between seasons three and four. That would be super interesting. Oh, okay. I wanted to get your thoughts. So first of all, the scene where they break into the confusingly placed morgue, the blue pant white t-shirt combo 
is wild. They're basically naked, which I think is fun thematically in terms of like vulnerability in this episode, but also really reminded me of uh, season two, episode one with Dean while he's in the hospital, like dying and Tessa is there. But I wanted to say the practical effects where they put the swab into the hole and like push it up into the like skull. Yeah. I actually think the effect was quite good. Like, it's really gross and makes me uncomfortable, but I think the actual, like, practical effects that they use is quite, like, I think it's aged pretty well, considering. What got me about that, though, was they do the swab thing, and then I think it's Sam who says, it goes all the way to the brain. It's like, well, where the fuck did you think it was going to end up? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, what? Look, like, it was pre-law, not pre-med. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but you see something going on that angle. It's like, where do you think it's fucking going? What else in there is so important? Considering it's like it's like behind the His ear, ear, it's like up. And yeah, like, exactly. There's only so many. So many it's places not like it it's go going like forward or anything. Through his like, eyeball. Yeah. I also find it very entertaining. I don't know what it is about the moment when Sam is holding the like brain, mm. and he's like, "Look, it's sucked dry." And Dean's like, "Wow, interesting. Let's go." <laughs> like it's so. Also, as if no one's gonna notice that this guy's head was cut open. Like, how is no one going to notice that? Like, And also the thing is, because it wasn't on record getting cut open, how do they know that it wasn't cut open, the brain removed, that was done to it, and then it's been replaced? They can't even be like, oh, well, like, obviously this is how they died or whatever, because it's like... Someone could have taken the brain. Someone could have taken the brain. Like, you could run tests on DNA yeah. and stuff, but like... And it could be the same brain, but who knows what's happened to the brain after the dude's dead and it's been cut out of the fucking skull. Yeah, could have been put in the microwave for all, you know. What is interesting, though, is that Sam, like, removes the part of the brain, like, of the cranium, right? He takes the skull off. And then he just takes the brain straight out as if it's not fucking attached to anything. I, look, also, I don't know that much about the specific intricacies of the human brain's attachments but i also know that it doesn't just fucking float there in nothingness like it's attached to some things <laughs> it's wild what i want to know is why that in the hell they're coming up through like the back of the skull why isn't the wraith going up through the nose yeah like that's clearly the easiest way to get to the brain exactly that's what the egyptians did yeah or, like through the ear yeah and also it's way less noticeable if they go up through the nose because mm. there's not going to be any hole on the skull Though to be fair, I think she was like the nurse, but also like the morgue attendant or something. Like, yeah, I don't her, know what her job her description job was. role is very dubious. <laughs> like, and like clearly she's been working there for a while. Yeah, well, they've had I think like seven deaths because they had four or something, and I'm pretty sure we see at least three. Yeah, so like, so she's clearly been there for like several months. So like presumably somebody hired her. Here's the thing. I, I feel like you could walk in and pretend to work somewhere for like a couple of days. Yeah. And no one would notice if you didn't actually work there properly. But like surely after several months, if you didn't actually work there, somebody would notice. Yeah. Three months in, you have your performance review and then, you know, they have a chat with you and they're like, hmm, we've noticed that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you in fact lie about your qualifications? It's an episode of Supernatural. It surely is. Oh, speaking of it being an episode of Supernatural, wouldn't be an episode of Supernatural without some terrible emotional advice. So at the very end, Sam is telling Dean his vulnerabilities about his anger and how, you know, he doesn't really know what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And Dean says, you take all that crap and you're going to bury it. You're going to forget about it because that's how we keep going. And Dean, sweetie baby, that's bad. 
This is why we call him fucking repression boy. Literally. Literally. Like, you're so wrong about this. And also, he makes the point, he's like, that's how we stop ourselves from ending up like Martin. I'm like, no. It's exactly how you do end up like Martin. That's kind of the point. Like, I know we joke a lot about how Sam doesn't learn anything. (laughs) But Dean, like, bro. But then again, remember, Dean takes the opposite lesson out of everything. You're so right. Dean learns, but you're so right. (laughs) Like, if the lesson is play your role, what he's going to take away from it is never under any circumstances play your role. Yeah. Like, if the lesson is don't bottle this shit up, otherwise you will snap because your mental health is not going to just necessarily bounce back from everything, Uh especially if you don't actually deal with any of the consequences along the way. What he's going to get out of that is, oh, well, when you go and get help for your mental health, you end up like Martin. So therefore, never, ever, ever tell anyone anything under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's bad. And it's also like, it's one thing for you to take that opinion upon yourself and be like, this is how I get through. And it's like, okay, sure, you should really seek help, but sure. But to tell other people, like, no, 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 no. We encourage people to seek help for their mental health. To be fair, though, I don't know exactly where he would send Sam. I mean, to be fair, wherever he sends him has to be better than their, his last rehab program. Bobby's <laughs> basement you is the not... panic room wasn't, wasn't top tier healthcare in your mind, Jamie? Uh, you think that's not a five star facility? I mean, I'm just saying it has bad Google reviews. <laughs> Can you imagine Google reviews for Bobby's panic room? AKA the rehab dungeon? <laughs> <laughs> They strapped me to the mattress. Complimentary jug of water, though. Three out of five stars. <laughs> the bathrooms were disgusting. Okay, there wasn't one. Got to speak to my younger self and also my mother, who's been dead for over a decade. Two out of five stars. <laughs> I understand why they do it. Like, mm. why in episodes like this and, like, Fossil Prison Blues, they're like, instead of, you know, pretending to be janitors or whatever we're gonna pretend to be like patients or criminals yeah it's also a fun way to like change up the pace of the episode kind of thing i get it but also like i'm sorry what why is this your go-to play (laughs) because they're kind of stupid you're gonna get so much further if you're pretending to be a janitor than if you're like a patient it's it's just for the sake of the plot like it's for the sake of the movie magic i suppose Mm. i want to talk about a couple of bits from the very tippity top of the episode. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, to get into the asylum, they have the interview with the psych, and I just want to point out, like, I'm not going to read the monologues that they have, mm-hmm. even though I did note them down, but I just think they're very funny. I appreciate the way that they're delivered. I like the way that you think that they're just going to run with Sam being the one who's clearly trying to get into the program, and then you have Dean come through at the end. Like, see... He's crazy. It wasn't his fault that they started the apocalypse, you know, and then he actually does give credit to Ruby. It's it's just very fun. I like Dean that supports girl power and I love that. For he him. does. I also love the description of Cass we get where <laughs> Sam's like, and this one angel, his name's Cassiel. He wears a trench coat. And I'm like, I love that that was so important for you to include. <laughs> like, it's irrelevant. The other thing I think about this episode that like doesn't make that much sense is like there is no real reason that they give for not just getting Cass to help like mm-hmm. at any point obviously like you know real life things like Misha Collins can't be in in every episode and like if they just called Cass for everything that would just be the solution for every episode and like blah 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 but you also know what what 
The CW might have actually made money if they had cats in every episode. Do you know what? You're so right. <laughs> I'm not saying the only reason to watch the CW Supernatural is Castiel, but I'm also not not saying that, you know? <laughs> yeah, look, I knew that once we finally got Cass, he would definitely be your favourite of the trio. Like, that was never a question in my mind, and I do respect that heavily. <laughs> I do have a question. At a couple of points through the episode, they keep bringing up Albuquerque. I, I don't know why. Like, clearly something happened with Martin in Albuquerque, but we literally never know what. Like, it's clearly very traumatic or whatever, but I'm like, I wish that they just either told us or made it way less specific, because, like, now I'm just forever going to wonder... What the fuck happened in Albuquerque? What was so traumatic? I know what happened in Albuquerque. What happened in Albuquerque? His head was in the game, but his heart was in the song. <laughs> yes, that was a High School Musical reference because High School Musical is based in Albuquerque. We spend way more time referencing High School Musical in this podcast than I ever thought we would. Like, it makes sense when we reference, like, Twilight, but I honestly thought we'd talk more about Buffy. It's bizarre to me how little we've mentioned Buffy comparatively to High School Musical and or Twilight. Like, it's wild to me. I don't think we've ever actually mentioned Buffy. Like, I think this might be the first (laughs) mention of Buffy on the podcast. And it's a mention about how we don't mention Buffy. Anyway, I do want to make a quick note, though, that I respect Martin putting up strict boundaries. He Mm. says to them, no, I don't go around dead bodies anymore, and I'm not going to get involved in this fight, and... For the sake of my health and my mental well-being, I just, I don't do it anymore. That's why I called you guys. And I'm like, do you know what? We respect the healthy boundaries. The only other thing that I don't think we've really touched on yet that I think is worth mentioning is when Sam is all hopped up on the, the drugs after he's attacked the psychiatrist and he has his little monologue where he says to Dean, maybe you are going crazy. Like, well, come on. You've been at least half crazy for a long time since you got back from hell or before that even. Maybe you finally cracked. Maybe you're really for real crazy. And I think that's interesting because, like, Sam is clearly inhibited in his, like, Mm. he doesn't have a filter right now. So I think that's interesting, like, to get from Sam that, like, he thinks there's a possibility that Dean could literally just be losing it. I also think it'd be really interesting if you pair that with the reading of Dean, like, Dean's OCD gets significantly worse after hell. Mm. And so it's like... If that's one of those things that, like, Sam is picking up on, that, like, Dean has been, you know, his OCD is getting worse since being in hell. And I also think it's really funny, this is not related to that point at all, but, like, slightly, (laughs) if just the sheer lack of self-awareness of Sam in that scene. It's like, okay, well, you're calling Dean crazy, yeah, but you've also been hallucinating and you just refuse to admit it. Actually, what is interesting, like, on Sam's hallucinations is later on, we get him hallucinating Dean, and he says it's not even the demon blood, Sam. The problem was you, the lies, the arrogance. Love Sam being called arrogant. <laughs> now we're all going to die because of you. It's your fault you killed us, right? So that's it starts off with Dean, and then it morphs into like everyone around him. I do think it would be interesting if Dean is hallucinating what Sam is saying to him in this moment. Because Sam would be confirming Dean's fear, mm-hmm. which is that he's actually going crazy, right? And then you have that comparatively with Sam a couple of scenes later, where He's hallucinating Dean, confirming his worst fear, which is that, you know, it's all your fault and you're a freak and you're an an arrogant, you know, selfish prick kind of thing and it's all your fault. Again, erasing Ruby's contribution. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But also, like, potentially an accident or potentially a really well-thought-out complex meta-analysis point. Like, it's got to be one of the two. (laughs) Please someone study that man like a bug. (laughs) 
I know a lot of people are like, oh, we want to study like Eric Kripke, like about And that's like, fair and valid. That's fair and valid, but I'm sorry. I think he's less interesting than Dom. Like, <laughs> here's the thing. I can I can see what Kripke's doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it's, it's weird, but it's consistent. You know what? Like, I can see what he's aiming for. I think he misses the mark wildly, <laughs> but I can I can see what he's trying to do. It doesn't feel quite as accidental what Kripke's trying to do versus what Darb is doing. Yeah. Like, Darb is and like... And Darb's not even showrunning at this point. These no. are individual episodes. Yeah. Like, I can see what, like, Sarah Gamble's doing. Like, like the Sarah Gamble long con is a joke. Yeah. But you can also see, like, a lot of her... Thematics. Her, a lot of her thematics are really congruent. They match up really nicely. And it just so happens that the thematics that she tends to gravitate towards were, like, really the really heavy sort of religious stuff. Yeah. Which then, with Ends the reveal of season four, turns yeah. into something that's really super-duper relevant. Andrew Darb, I don't know what he's going for. And <laughs> It's confusing to me personally as a human because I don't know what the end goal of this was. Like, I can't work out what his plan was. It's interesting because you kind of come to the end of this episode and you're kind of like, okay, so what was the takeaway? Like, obviously they achieved the goal of, like, they killed the monster. But normally at the end of the episode you have the, like, dramatic conversation by the car and usually it's some kind of, like, emotional resonance really funny though that this week's emotional conversation by the car is literally do not feel your emotions under any fucking circumstances or you will die yeah like (laughs) and also like we've talked relatively recently about how the difference between like sam feeling like he is able to talk to dean about his emotional state because dean is a father figure whereas dean like doesn't feel like he can talk to sam in the same way because of the inverse, right? Because Sam is, like, his metaphorical child. So this is really, really interesting in terms of Sam is, you know, telling Dean how he's feeling and what's going on. And Dean is like, essentially, I don't want to hear it. Which is weird because Dean is always there for Sam. Yeah. Dean is always happy to talk about Sam and Sam's emotion. It's when it's his own emotions that it's an issue. Yeah, and then, like, there are a couple of instances where we have Dean open up a little bit. But it is usually under, like, very specific circumstances. Like, the example that comes to mind is when, like, Dean, like, expresses how it felt in hell and, like, you know, torturing, like, souls. Like, how he held out for 30 years when he was there for 40 kind of thing. That reveal is you know, one of the few scenarios where we get Dean actually vulnerable and opening up about his trauma specifically to Sam. And comparatively, like, Sam's always fucking telling Dean how he feels like he's a freak and, like, you know, all of this crap is going on. And, yeah, in in this instance, Dean is basically like, no, you suck it up and you bury it and you just keep going. And it almost feels like, I don't know, like a couple episodes ago, we had Bobby being like, all right, are we done talking about our emotions now kind of thing? And I yeah. wonder if it's like a carry-on. That's the sort of advice that Dean gives to himself. It's not mm. the advice he gives to Sam. Like, that's... Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's just wild. And it doesn't feel like anything is resolved, but it kind of, the episode ends as if it is. It's it's a very interesting and weird way to end a very complex episode. Mm. And, like, it doesn't feel like it should be that complex, but when you start to get into the Uno reverse of it all with the, like, 
actually everything's been a hallucination basically this entire time. Yeah, and then you think about the implications of all the previous conversations and stuff. Mm. Like, there is a lot to talk about for everyone involved, really. Even in the way that, like, both Sam and Dean end up terrified, but even in the way they hold themselves when they're scared. Like, Sam is, like, overtly aggressive and Dean cowers in a corner. Like, those expressions of fear are just so interesting, but also fundamentally integral to their characters. Yeah, dude. I don't know, man. I just... (laughs) This episode is really, like, wild. Like, there's just so much happens, and some of it feels, like, wildly off-base, and some of it feels, like, so incredibly poignant yeah you know and it's so it's it's very interesting it's difficult to talk about i suppose like yeah because part of me wants to praise it and part of me is just like what the fuck was that the pendulum is yeah and that's why it's so hard to give darp credit for like what is good yeah because it's like okay well you've done some really fascinating and interesting things that i would argue are good like i think that the way it's sort of dean perceiving himself through the therapist I think that's really fucking interesting. I think it's really good. And I think it actually, it does reveal like a really fundamental element of Dean's character. And I think that's fascinating. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem to hold the same awareness for the rest of the episode. So that leads me to thinking, oh, maybe that was just an accident. I think I have exhausted all of my notes. I'm done for the day. Done for the day? Mm-hmm. Okey jokies. So, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Jamie, how would you rate Sam Interrupted out of five? Okay, I think I'm going to give it a three out of five stars. Like, it was really interesting, but, like, I don't think it's necessarily one of the better episodes of Supernatural. All right, the next episode is titled Swap Meet. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears, or predictions? So, this is going to be very long and convoluted, so follow me here. Okay. Okay, so... I hear swap me. First word, swap. Okay, something, something's changing. People are, like, changing. And then I hear meat. And all I can think is meat suit. <laughs> so, like, maybe Cass gets a different vessel for an episode or something. Oh, fun. Or maybe, like, a Freaky Friday situation. Or, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I feel like people are switching meat suits. Or, you know what would be really fun? What? If Meg and Castiel swapped vessels. That would be very fun. I think that would be iconic. I think like, that should be your next pick. Yeah, I I <laughs> just think, like, Dean would not know how to do React. anything with Meg likes to hit on everything that moves in <laughs> Castiel's body and, like, the face that he associates with Castiel. Like, I think that would just be peak by panic for <gasps> Dean. so correct. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, so I'm thinking swap meat. It seems like it's going to be weird. Just based on the name. And I think there there are swapping meat suits. Alright, that is fair and valid. That you've kind of already answered the question, but do you think Cass is gonna be in next week's episode? I want them to swap Castiel's vessel, but I don't know if they will. So you're not sure. You that's I, your like dream scenario, but I, I think it'd be very, very fun, but I feel like we're hitting a patch where Cass is just not there for a bit. I feel like maybe maybe we're not gonna see Cass for another couple of episodes until it starts like picking up again. Yeah. You know how they sort of normally do like a lulls in the plot. Lulls in the plot right at the middle and then it picks up again and then it lulls a bit and then it Yeah, it's kind of like three acts within the season. Yeah. So that just about does it for today's episode. Thank you so very much for listening. Hopefully you have enjoyed listening as much as we have had fun recording. And if you wanted to get in touch with us outside of us babbling along in your ears for an hour or so every week, you can always find us 
on any of our social medias at the links below. And possible topics for conversation that could include... What would you diagnose Dean with? Oh, yeah. Do you think that the diagnoses that he was given were accurate? Or do you think that they were completely fabricated by Dean's own interpretation of himself? Yeah, like, let's pathologize the brothers. Let's do it. Actually, Sam doesn't get a diagnosis. He describes himself as being a bit depressed, I guess. Which is so... That's Sam yet again with the, like, fully... I saw someone get hurt hurt once. once. Yeah, like... Like... (laughs) Fully underselling the situation. Yep. So, yeah, how would you how would you diagnose Sam, maybe, is a good question. Oh, does it also annoy you every time they remove Ruby's agency in this? Because, like, <laughs> Sam is just a plot point. Like, stop giving him the responsibility for it. It wasn't his choice. He doesn't have agency in this story. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks so much for listening, and hopefully we have you back next week for Swap Me. Bye! Bye.